It's Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, I talk with Peter Sum. He's the founder of Reform.app, which are clean forms on brand. You might know Peter from the Out of Beta podcast that he co-hosts with Matt Wensing, or you may have seen him at a microconf. He's also the founder of WP Pusher and BranchCI.com. These are two apps that he has just announced that he has sold. He has an exit under his belt, and he was part of the inaugural batch of Tiny Seed back in 2019. So today we catch up with Peter to talk through his thought process of moving on, in essence, from WP Pusher and Branch to Reform. Now, when we recorded this, he had not sold them yet. So you'll notice we don't specifically address that, but we do talk through thinking through moving on. And, and it's how far do you push something before you decide to move on? We talk about his involvement with Tiny Seed and you know how that has impacted his not only his decisions, but you know his progress over the years. And then we talk through reform, how he came up with the app, started working on it, what the launch was like, and the difference that he saw, the night and day difference he saw with reform versus branch. It's a great conversation. Hope you stick around for it. Let's dive in. Peter Sum, part of Tiny Seeds First Batch, the co-host of the Out of Beta podcast with our mutual friend Matt Wensing, and you are building reform.app. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're going to talk through some fun things today, sir. And what I like is that you emailed me, what, a month ago? And you said, hey, I'd love to come on the show. It's a bucket list item for me. <laughs> I was like, Roy, oh, come on, man. I was actually surprised that, that you know you hadn't come on the show before. I just don't. I mean, we have 500-something episodes, so I often forget if guests have been on. But I try to stay in under the radar. I under guess. the radar, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've just been part of the community, you know, the microconf community and, and, you know, I know a listener of the show and then part of Tiny Seed and we just have so many mutual friends through that, that uh, good to finally have you on. So today we're not only going to talk about what you're building with reform and so folks know your H1 is clean forms on brand, putting together clean on brand forms for your business should be easy with reform. It finally is no code required. So that's what you're working on today and you're still in the, the early days of that. And we'll talk about, again, what you've been up to with it. But I want to start by talking about your prior app that you spent a couple years working on called Branch. And folks can see your landing page, branchci.com. And your H1 there is Branch is no longer available to new customers. Frowny face. <laughs> I'm sad. It says in 2018, I set out to build a better solution for WordPress developers to build, test, and deploy their code. It's been a fun journey, but in essence, you know, in summary, we're not taking new customers. So that's the project you applied to Tiny Seed with and got funding from us. And you worked on it hard for, for three years. You want to talk us through, we don't need to go through the whole story, but like as things progressed over this timeline, like what were the signals you started seeing that made you think, I need to consider moving on? You know, I need, I need to consider moving on to my next project. Branch was actually the startup where I wanted to do everything right. Like, I feel like when you've been in this game for a bit, like, you're like, okay, I'm going to start over. I'm going to start a new thing. I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to, you know, take prepayments and stuff like that. So I actually, I did all that. Like I had, when I started working on Branch, just for some context, I was working on a similar project before that, even in the same space called WP Pusher, which was also in the WordPress space. And I guess I kind of wanted to take that to the next level. Um, and I had some ideas for how to do that and basically take it to a, a, a broader market. So I, I built 
basically a prototype for this and I recorded a video for it and I've, you know, I feel like I'm the, the Dropbox guys in the early days, like I'm recording a video and putting it on Twitter and, and people were responding really positively and kind of like using that momentum, I built an, an early access list and I, I asked some people if they would pay up front and, and I got some prepayments and stuff like that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this thing. I, th- I don't think I was much further than that when we started talking because I had some, you know, early beta users probably at that time. And I guess the first signs were actually pretty early on that, you know, a couple months in, like none of the people that paid for the product were using it. So I guess the the very short version of that is we we pivoted, or not pivoted, but we changed the positioning many times. We turned every corner and like, because it's a very, it's a very hard problem we were trying to solve, like making something that's very gnarly, like WordPress and deployment and databases and stuff like that and make it really easy. And when the stars were aligned for the exact right WordPress project, it kind of worked, but we probably never solved the problem as well as we should. And also people didn't care enough about the problem. And if I had read a book like The Mom Test, I would have picked up on some of these signs earlier. And I remember in the maybe second half of Tiny Seed, like when I had my check-ins with Aner, he'd be like, you should be adding a little bit more MRR uh, right now than you are. So kind of by the end of it, and all of this is documented on my podcast that I do with Matt, because we started right after we joined Tiny Seed. So we've been doing it for two years now. But kind of like one direction I went into was partnerships. And um, that was kind of like the, I really believed in that actually, because all the, you know, all the big hosting companies and stuff like that in the WordPress space were really interested in working with us. They were approaching us and it was easy to convince them to do co-promotion and stuff like that. And even when we worked with the largest hosting companies in the entire space, it didn't really move any needles. And I guess that was like the the hard to swallow truth that, you know, if you get a partnership with the largest player that you like the largest partner you can potentially get and it doesn't need really work, it's a problem. So to be fair, I thought that was your ticket as well. You and I had a bunch of conversations about that in the in the early days about there's only four or five really big hosts. If you get them all to promote you, you know, this this thing becomes a almost a no-brainer, right? The money will roll dot 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 profit. And yeah, when a couple of them came out in different forms and you were like, yeah, we got no signups or we got like three signups or whatever, you know, whatever the numbers were, I remember myself being quite surprised by that. Just it, it goes to show you how much of this is, you know, we have patterns and we have predictions and we have gut feels and it's experimental, you know? And and when you don't have product market fit, that overused term, but it's a phrase that really has deep meaning. When you don't have it, no amount of new exposure or new customers hitting your website, no amount of that really changes anything. Right, and I think if you can't like brute force a customer, just manually, basically, just talk to someone and get them to be a customer, which was hard for us. We didn't have that many customers. Then no partnership and no marketing channel. No, like Nothing is going to work if you can't do that. I guess the problem was that we kept seeing good enough signs. Like we had people approach us for acquisitions that were that sounded really exciting. We had interest from investors. At some point, we took a, a check from one of the largest VC companies in the world. So, you know, we had a lot of these fake signs <laughs> that things were going well. And everyone loved the idea of branch. Like whenever a WordPress developer saw it, they loved it. So I succeeded in creating a lot of buzz around it, I guess, but it wasn't the right problem. So, and I guess I'm learning that now that I'm working on a problem where it's just 
a lot easier to get people to become customers. And yeah, so if you can't brute force a customer or, you know, just talk to someone and make them a customer, I mean, no one else can do it for you, I think. It's, it's kind of hard, yeah. And I think, I mean, I want to add some context to this too. Like when you applied to Tiny Seed and we were talking about it, you had WP Pusher is the WordPress plugin that was kind of solving a very similar related problem to what Branch was going to. And you were, give or take, you were default alive with revenue. So when we were talking, it wasn't as, you know, we were basically saying Branch was very nascent when we backed you, but you had this other thing and that was all part of it. And so we saw you as someone with with a customer list, an app that was already generating, you know, a, a decent chunk of revenue and as someone with I'll say subject matter expertise in this area of WordPress continuous integration, WordPress deployments, WordPress pushing, WP Pusher. So it makes for a good package. And you're a single founder developer who had experience, again, experience in a customer list and revenue in this space. I'll admit I was surprised that Branch didn't work given all the signs that you had and given all the, the traction you had with WP Pusher. I mean, if I look at it from, I was going to say from the outside, but I wasn't. I was on the inside because you and I were chatting, you know, especially during the batch year, we were chatting every week or every month at, at different intervals. It felt to me like, you, like you're saying, you were, you were solving a problem, but it wasn't like a burning pain point. And it was almost like, it was like the spinach. It was like, people know they should do continuous integration, but like WordPress developers aren't. And, and when you ask them to change behavior, that's a real problem, right? That's the, one of the hardest things to do is to get a group of people to change behavior and to, to do something they, to take vitamins, you know, to do something they think they should be. But really, if none of the other developers around them are doing it and they can get by without it, like, I don't know, is that, is that aligned with, with your take on it? Yeah, you know, actually, I think the first paying, you know, pre-paying customer we got was and at the time I was living in Glasgow in Scotland and they were in Edinburgh, which is like one and a half hour by train. So I went to their office three times to demo the product and they paid for it and they were excited about it. They never used it. They never implemented it because they didn't have to. Like So the thing is, like I was saying, everyone is deploying, right? So everyone needs this tool. But the problem is if everyone is deploying, they're already deploying. So it would be nice for them to have a better way to deploy. But the reality is, it's not like they haven't deployed before, like their their website is already deployed somewhere, right? So I think my co-host Matt said on a podcast, I ended up with like a $50 a month product with like a $2,000 a month sales process, right? So people were expecting demo calls, they were expecting me to help them convince their boss to buy this tool. And I guess it's just horrible, actually. <laughs> it's really difficult to sell. Because it was a really expensive problem to solve and implement for them, but it wasn't that important. And actually, $50, I've started to realize that's actually a really difficult price point to start at because it's it's enough that people really have to think about it. Like you don't just sign, well, depends, but a lot of people don't just sign up for something at $50. But then if they expect some sort of sales process, you're just screwed actually. <laughs> You're right. I mean, $50 for something uh, at Drip, that was our starting price. But people knew that we were an ESP or a marketing automation provider. We fit in an existing category and it was really simple. And people know they needed it. They either needed it or they didn't, you know. And if it was if it was really good and could do all these fancy automations, well, it was worth 50 bucks for 2,500 subscribers versus you, were, you weren't inventing a new category because continuous integration 
and deployment already existed as SaaS, right? There's CircleCI and the whole you know gamut of, of folks there. But you were almost trying to niche it to WordPress. Not almost. I mean that that essentially was was the play. And as we said, it just you know didn't seem to be a burning like a burning need in that group, even though as you said. You had all the signals because you had these people wanting to integrate with you, wanting to co-promote these large companies. You had people wanting to acquire you. You had people, you know, asking about the product. So as as you're getting, you're seeing these signals along the way. There's just two, three year journey that kind of keep you going. But the big signal, the MRR and the customer number was not big. It was it was you would get a new one here and there, and MRR would tick up a, a notch, but it was not growing to the point where you're like, you know, I'm going to be default alive with with just branch, you know, anytime soon. And you were telling me before we hit record that there was this really tough period as you were deciding to essentially step away from branch where you and your wife and your newborn were all in a one room and you said not a one bedroom, but a one room apartment. We call it a studio apartment here in the US. And you were doing like customer interviews and you had a crying baby and all this stuff like that sounded terrible. You want to just talk us through, through that real quick? Yeah, I mean, we we moved to Denmark on a whim you know, during the pandemic because my wife was pregnant and we we're going to have our son. And the spring 2020, like no one knew how long this was going to last. We did this lockdown over there was very strict. So we had no idea when we would see our family the next time if we decided to stay over there and, and have our son over there. So we had this crazy uh, week where we planned everything and we, we just threw everything in the car and gave all the stuff away that didn't fit in the car and, and basically drove to Denmark from the UK. And then, so in Denmark, we have a little cabin here that we lived in uh, during the summer. And um, that's actually, he wasn't born there, but that's where we were when he was born. And then we were lucky to be able to get a little studio apartment in Copenhagen for where we stayed, I guess, for four months. So basically, Branch is not, it's it's clearly not working, but I'm not ready to, I'm not 100% ready to give up yet. You kind of know it's not working, but it's it's really hard to come to this realization. So all I'm doing is like, I'm turning every stone. I'm talking to all my partners and I'm doing these customer interviews to just try to see if we can pivot or if we can take it in another direction. And yeah, you know, everything was happening in the same room. Like, you know, my wife will be breastfeeding our son in the background while I'm doing you know, six customer interviews in a day, like, and the the office I used to work in in Copenhagen was shut down, of course, because of the pandemic. And it was not a fun situation to be in. And it was, re- I remember it was really hard to find time to think and just figure out what to do. And uh, I remember I had some walks where I got on calls with you and, and talked through some stuff. And I think what I needed at the time was actually permission to move on <laughs> because I think this is a common belief people have when they take investment that now you have to make it work because you took someone's money. Yeah. And because of Tiny Seed, you were my investor. So yeah, I had a lot of stuff to figure out at that time. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, we decided to bet on one of our on our, our partnerships because one of the partnerships had a little glimmer of hope, basically. There's li- like small signs that it might work. So we actually decided to to ignore everything else and just focus the rest of our energy on on that partnership. But then in a matter of few weeks, we actually, some stuff happened behind the scenes, I guess, that uh, made us realize that that partnership wasn't going to be working out. And we just decided to move on. Yeah. This seems like that was the straw, last straw, right? Of just like, this is, 
this is the end in essence. And I mean, at that point you had a, you had a few choices, right? Or you had a choice and you could go in a few directions. You could have shut the company down. You still had an asset, like WP Pusher still is a revenue generating asset. So you could have, you know, done, done something with that, but you could have shut the company down, returned investor money, what was left and gotten a salary job just chilled the heck out for not do this entrepreneurial insanity, you know, for a year or two or whatever, you could have basically cleared the cap table and then just gone out and started something else, you know, and, and raised a different round. But instead what you decided to do was to keep the company as it is with the existing cap table, right? So you have uh, tiny seed as investors, advisors, and you have the, the large VC firm, you said, and that's what you decided to go with. How did you how did you think through those options and why did you decide to go with with the last one? So actually for a few weeks I thought I was going to get acquired because of the 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 problem brain solve is a problem that basically every WordPress host wants to solve. So it would have been very easy for us to get acquired uh, and for me to get a job. <laughs> so they would be the ones paying my investors back and I would just get a job basically is what that means. So I, I thought about that. Honestly, I was really tired. Like 2020 was a long year for all of us, I think. And I was especially tired and a little baby. And so I seriously de- debated just doing that. But then I, I just remember one day, like I just realized that I'm, I'm definitely not going to do that. I, I didn't, you know, work hard for many years to to have that be the, the outcome. And it doesn't have to be forever, but that's not what I wanted to do. And we actually had some runway left. So enough that at least I could be working for another year on a, on a startup, which is a great opportunity. Like you can, you can get pretty far in a year if you... If you hit the right things. Yeah, you look at, you look at what Derek Reimer, you know, had done with Savvy Cal, right? Or was doing at the time. Yeah, and I did because I'm in a mastermind with him and we talk basically every day, him, Matt and I. So I, uh, I called my, all my investors and I, my voice is shaking and I'm telling them this is not going to work. I don't have money to pay everyone back, but if if you're the only one who wants their money back, I can probably get it to you. No one wanted their money back. <laughs> one of them actually said, and uh, if he's listening, thank you. But he basically said he didn't even care what I used it for. Like, just go have fun. Like, I I <laughs> take a break or something. But yeah. So after doing that, like, I felt good that okay, I know I have some time now to to come up with a new idea. So I read the mom test a few times <laughs> to make up for. Uh, for the times that I didn't read it. Yeah, I I actually, I mentioned I had a cabin or we have a cabin. So I went up there for a day and I had uh, written down some criteria for the type of business that I wanted. And I revisited them and, you know, I I learned a few things. So I I changed them a little bit. And I actually learned later that they were very uh, similar to some of the stuff that Derek uh, wrote down when he started SavvyCal and his are on his website. So I looked at them as well, actually. And that re- like that just really helped <laughs> when I was thinking through different ideas. I had a few ideas. So basically my process was just start, you know, talking to people and um, figuring out, kind of like trying to tease out if, if any of those ideas had any legs. None of the ideas was to build a form builder, <laughs> by the way. That came more organically, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, that does kind of bring us to the, the part of the story where we start digging into 
Reform. And again, it's reform.app, clean forms on brand. So a visual form builder. How'd you get there? How'd you get from, I have a list of requirements, which I'm guessing, I mean, look, I had this, I had a similar list of requirements 10 years ago, right? When I was thinking about Drip, it's like, I want an app that's X dollars a month or more expensive. I want an app that a lot of people need. I want an app I can market through this. I want something that maybe for me at the time doesn't require enterprise sales. You know, I had all these kind of criteria. And so, you know, again, DerekRimer.com, if you want to see his list, which is probably has, you know, quite a bit of overlap with ours. Then how did you get there? Because a form builder, look, there are a lot of form builders, right? I can name like six off the top of my head, some of which have been acquired. I know I'm going to name all your competitors and tell people to go check them out. No, but there are a lot of them. It's a very, it's a big horizontal space. I won't go as far as to say it's a commodity because I do believe that you can differentiate, right? And like I always say on the, on, on the show, you can go into a large market with a lot of competitors if you can figure out. A, how to have a really unique feature set or positioning, and you own that in people's minds, right? Or if you have really, I'll say it's, I always use the word proprietary. It's not exactly that, but it's like proprietary traffic channels that you can own, right? So the example of that is, is Ruben with Signwell, what used to formerly DocSketch. E-Signature is a huge space. He's one of the best in the world I know at SEO. And so he gets hundreds of thousands of uniques a month. And if you can rank number one for a bunch of terms, Great. You can truly build, you know, Signwell is not a commodity, but you could literally build a commodity, rank one in Google, and build a great business, right? So either or, if you have both, even better, right? So reform, you're coming into the the form space. I I guess the first question is, how'd you get to that idea? Next question is like, how'd you start to prove it out to in your head, make it worth building, you know, to not get stung this time? Yeah. So the way the idea came was I actually, because at this time I'm talking to my investors all the time because I'm trying to figure out what, what's next. So And it's funny, you say, you say investors and people might think, oh, he's reporting to someone. They're really advisors who happen to have put money in. Is that, that's more how you think of them, right? It's like mentors, advisors. And friends, right? Matt is one of my investors. Right. I know some people listen to podcasts when they hear you say investors, they'll be like, oh, like that's a negative connotation. But it's like, no, these are your, they're aligned with you. You all want this, we all want this to succeed. Yeah, I talk to my people, you know. Yeah, so, but I, what I kind of wanted was, I wanted a way to um, make it easy to communicate with, in this case, investors. And um, I had this idea for how to make it easier. And I was describing it to a friend. This was one of my ideas. That's something I've been thinking about for, for a while, actually. But now I just, it was more present when I was talking a lot to my investors. So... I'm describing this idea to a friend and he's like, I'm telling him about the idea and I'm, I'm, I'm describing it, you know, as kind of like a, a type form when you do an investor update. So I wanted to be able to do an investor update that's like asking me smart questions and you just kind of like get one question at a time. And then he was like, can you just build it in type form then? And yeah, I guess I could. So I hung up the phone and I basically did like a prototype of this and I asked a couple founder friends if they would want to pay actually $50 <laughs> per month for this. And I think three people just from my, just me DMing a few people said yes. And then I had to kind of like the thesis that I could get them to send more investor updates than they did now, <laughs> which was the goal, but they didn't, <laughs> it didn't really change anything. But then in the process, you know, I got to play around with uh, some other form builders and got frustrated about a few things and was like, hmm, that's interesting. And I joked to um, Matt and Derek in my mastermind that, oh, maybe, maybe it's time for a new form builder. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and then they were like, yeah, maybe it's time for a new form builder. I, I, they had some frustrations as well. And I'm like, 
are you serious? Like, and then I started thinking about it. Actually, this is this has not been shared before, even on out of beta. But uh, the first, I know someone is going to build it when I mention it, but I'm going to mention it anyways. The first idea was actually to build a form builder that was Markdown based, so super geeky developery. And we did some mockups of that. Me and my now co-founder Bjorn that I worked on on branch as well as a as a contractor and. Um, Everyone we showed it to loved it, like the especially developers. No one wanted to pay for it. Yeah, I was gonna say I didn't love it because you showed it to me, and I'm like, I don't want to have time for Markdown. Like, if I'm gonna do a form builder, I'm gonna drag and drop. And then I'm sure developers are like, if I'm gonna do a form builder, I'm gonna build it myself. You know? Yeah. But we were kind of intrigued by the idea uh, of doing a form builder in general. And the more people we talked to, we realized that it had it didn't have to have Markdown. It just did. It just had to be better <laughs> than the form builder they were using right now. Apparently, everyone was like frustrated with their form builder, and everyone kind of had a form builder of choice. So there was something interesting about it. And you're right; like it's a really crowded market. It's a horizontal space. I knew it was going to be really challenging. The thing I liked about it compared to Branch was that it. I feel like I actually did a good job in many ways with Branch, like, and I learned a ton of things. I got really good at doing partnerships, and we built a really awesome product in many ways. We did some cool integrations and stuff like that. So I, I feel like I was doing a good job, but it was just the wrong job or the wrong product. So I was actually excited to really like try something difficult, but that actually had a chance of working. And you know, forms—it's a very proven space, and you know, some of the form. Builders, you probably haven't heard about, but they're making millions a year in annual recurring revenue. So it's a kind of product where you can carve out a piece of the market as well, uh, sort of in a niche or something. And then you can, you can go more or less horizontal, I think. Yeah, what was the validation? Was there anything, and I'm not saying validation in a traditional sense of, I talked to 17 people and nine told me, yes, they would pay this. I don't mean that, but like you had a bunch of conversations and people said, I would use that even though there are existing alternatives. And, and then you were like, cool. Or what, yeah, what was that thought process? Yeah, so actually when Derek was thinking about doing Savvy Cal, you joined one of our masterminds. So it was you, Derek, Matt and I. And I remember you told him, if you can match what Calendly is doing, like I'll happily switch to your thing. And I remember Justin Jackson saying similar things about podcasts. Like if all my friends will probably switch. And I, I got the same vibe. Like at least my friends would, they sounded like they would use it. You never know for sure. So I wasn't you know, necessarily trusting that they would <laughs> because a lot of people said they would use Brain as well, but they never did. So the way we validated it was we... We didn't do a ton of validation. We had a, I had a bunch of conversations, maybe 20 or something like that with people. I talked to people who worked at form companies. I talked to power users of other form tools and, and I, I, I started to get a good idea. And then I just felt like we just, we needed to try it at least. So kind of what we realized was that it needed to be really, it needed to just, it needed to be a very like high quality, like we couldn't just build some MVP and, and validated that way because no one was going to... There's already good solutions out there. Exactly. So you, you can't, you had to build something that was at least as good, but had something maybe compelling or different about it. Yeah. And if we wanted to test this in a few weeks, like, you know, we could just keep talking to people. I don't know if we would learn much more from that. And we couldn't build a great product. Like we could build maybe a prototype of the markdown idea, but we decided that that's not what we would wanted to do. So instead we decided to build a landing page with some mockups 
and basically a prototype of the form that was actually built on top of Netlify's form API because that like that really limited the scope. So we I've never spent this much energy on a landing page, but we really sweated every pixel and the copy as well. Like I've never spent that much time on a piece of copy. So I I, I remember going through obviously awesome April Dunford's book and kind of like get the positioning right and then wrote the copy and we built this uh, landing page in Figma. I'm pretty sure I showed it to 30 people at least that gave me feedback and not all at the same time. Like, you know, I showed it to one or two people, got their feedback, iterated. And we did that for two weeks, I think. Where So in the end, we knew that it was pretty good. Like we could just see people got it more and more. And that's that's what we kind of put on Twitter uh, one day. This is like the age-old smoke test. I mean, this goes back to start small, stay small. You know, I like I wrote about this 11 years ago about put up a landing page. And these days I just saw someone post in, I think it was MicroConf Connect saying, does that still work anymore? You know, is that even a thing? And it's like, no, landing pages. I mean, I've put landing pages up for everything from SaaS apps like Drip to a book like Start Small, Stay Small to a conference like MicroConf. MicroConf started as a landing page to an accelerator. Tiny Seed was literally just a landing page. It was like, here's some things we're going to do. Yeah. And, and I, I did the same thing. I took eight hours to write 12 sentences of copy. I mean, it was just a tremendous amount of iteration and like going back and forth. So this is something that, you know, has been around for a while and, and still works. And it's something I do want to point out too, is like, none of this is foolproof. None of this is, people want the answer. They want a hundred percent validation of, there, that doesn't exist. It's a figment of your imagination. But at a certain point, you say, I'm going to do an, an idea. I'm going to build a form builder. And you're like, yeah, I'm like 10% or 20% sure it's going to work. So then you talk to 20, 30 people. And you're like, hmm, now I feel like 30%, 40%. Like that's all it is. It's a continuum. And then you put up a landing page. You get people to opt in or commit or pre-buy or whatever. And maybe that gets you to 50 or 60. And you had that with Branch, right? You had validation, but there's still room there for it to fail, you know, just because you're at 60%. And so at a certain point, it tips and then you people actually do start using it and, and start paying you. Yeah, anyways, I, w- I wanted to interject that, but you can keep going with the story. Yeah. And we put a month into the, to the landing page, two people and two people that are pretty good developer. Uh, Bjorn is a good designer as well. And, you know, we put a lot of effort into it. And I think that works, you know, just slapping something together and just put it up there. It has a much lower chance of working if you unless you're it's a new thing that people you know, really want. But if you're trying to compete in a very crowded space, why would anyone sign up for a bad MVP or a bad landing page for something? Like that's not going to be exciting to anyone. So we put a lot of effort into it and we, we, had, a, we had a good idea about uh, what we did because we iterated on it. Yeah, so we put it on Twitter and it, from my point of view, it blew up <laughs> with the, you know, my follower amount and stuff like that. It got more attention than my tweets normally get. So, you know, I got like 100,000 views or something like that. And I think we got 500 signups for the early access list on the first day. And, and I think we were at like 1,300 or something like that when we actually launched the thing. But at the time, this was one of our experiments. You know, the first thing I tested was the investor idea. Then I tested the form idea. But then it blew up a little bit. 500 people signed up. We did a Twitter Spaces event and, you know, Andrew Warner from Mixergy showed up and he prepaid, un- like four people prepaid. Just They just asked if they could PayPal me money for it because they wanted to be the first customers. So it was really exciting. And then the next day we went for a walk, me and Bjorn, and we were like, yeah, I think I think we have to go forward with this idea. 
it would be weird to like go out and launch another thing in three weeks. <laughs> and so you built it. How, how long did it take to, to build to get to the point where you could launch? Because today you can go to Reform and sign up. See, I can see plans. I can go to the form builder. I can log in and all that. So how long ago did you launch? 45 days ago. Okay. So it took you a few months then to, to yeah. get to the point. But we, we had customers way before that. So it took us probably, it probably took us a month before. So we had that prototype of a form that was our sign-up form. So that was another thing that we kind of engineered, right? If you wanted to see the product, you signed up for the early access list. That's how you could try the product. So it took about a month, I think, before we had a product where I could rebuild the early access form for ourselves. So kind of like dog fooding it. So, you know, I had a list of people that were, I kind of, you know, I talked to everyone who signed up in the early days all the time. Like I, that was half my time was probably just talking to people. So I had an idea about who needed what and how many features they needed. So I had them kind of ranked <laughs> and some people didn't need a lot of features so they could, and they were willing to try a new thing so they could, they could try it and maybe after five or six weeks and just slowly started onboarding customers and essentially an early access, right? Exactly. Yeah. I remember actually after we, uh, we announced the product, my first idea, cause I'm in this validation mindset was actually to manually build forms like the one we had for our early access list for the 10 first people or something like that. And I remember, I think that was actually Derek. He was, he, he asked me like, and what are you going to learn from that? <laughs> like, you know, people are already paying for form builders. They're already building forms. They already have use cases. Like you just, you just need to see how fast you can build something that people can use to put together the same kind of form that you had on your website and that resonated with people. So that's what we did. That's kind of what we're still doing. We're still trying to catch up to all those baseline features, but we have enough that I think most startups can use us for all their form needs. We have templates for product market fit surveys and SaaS onboarding and stuff like that. All the stuff that we need ourselves, which is fun as well. So we get to dog food it all the time. Right. That's the cool part is when you get to the point with a product where you can use it yourself. And I do like on your homepage, you know, you say the problem, what's wrong with the status quo? And then you go through some reasons why, look, there are a bunch of other form builders, but here's what, what we don't like about them. And here's what we kept hearing people didn't like about them. And then how reform is better. We're faster, we're brandable, we're linear and non-linear. You know, you just, you really bring it out in a way that kind of would address, I think, the the inner narrative, right? The conversation that's already going on inside the, the prospect's mind. Yeah. And like, I remember recently Bjorn, he told me, this feels like it's a lot easier to get a customer for reform than it is for branch. And actually it also feels like it's a lot easier to get two customers <laughs> and three customers. Right. So it's so much easier for people to sign up. Like there's a much smaller mental barrier to sign up, pick a template, you get a URL, your form is ready. Right. You don't have to convince your boss, you know, like all this stuff. I'm just enjoying that right now, to be honest. I don't know if we're going to, you know, figure out all the marketing and if we're going to scale and all that stuff. But right now it's just fun to have, you know, in a few months, like more than 60 customers and usage and feedback and life in a sense. Yeah, I mean, you've built a self-serve tool that's quite horizontal. And if people find out about it and they do like the look of it or like the feel of it or do, to your point earlier have an issue with the current form builder, it's 20 bucks a month. It's not that big of a risk and they don't have to get a whole development team using it. You know, the switching costs is, it's not trivial to switch from an old form builder if you have data and such, 
but it's certainly possible. I mean, we we've done it with MicroConf and you know, and TinySeed customers of reform as well. So it's it's interesting. I think you know, folks listening to this might be thinking, well, should I enter a big horizontal crowded space as well? And it's like, well, maybe. I mean, there's a bunch of ways to think about this, right? I mean, something you know, similar to you and that you and Derek have is that you both build really good products. They look really good. They function really well. Like you are exceptional at building at at products. And a lot of people think they are, but they, you know, you look at Reform's homepage, you look at Savvy Cal's homepage and you compare it to a lot of, of SaaS apps on the web and yours, you know, they stand out. And so that's an advantage unto itself, but it's not enough, of course, right? You're not going to get to half a million or a million just because you can build a great product. That marketing piece has to kick in, which I'm assuming is is up next for you guys because you're you've built something people want. Now you have to get more product market fit. You know, as I always say, it's a spectrum, right? You've, you're notching that up and eventually you'll get to where people are just flocking real quick and then it's like, okay, everyone's signing up and everyone's converting, but now how do we 5X, 10X, 20X that just the sheer volume of people who know about us? And that's the playbook. But yeah, man, you know, congratulations on on kind of, I was going to say making a pivot, but it's not even a pivot. It's just like, I'm just building a different app. You know, it was a risky decision, obviously, but there's a lot more founder gut that has to go in these things than I think we want them to have, especially as engineers. You know, we want there to be a right answer, black and white, and numbers that point us to 100%. But you're you're off to the races. Now it's plugging and playing, blocking and tackling, and, and building the business. Yeah, I actually thought about if I should... Uh, do another round of tiny seed just to like <laughs> apply again <laughs> <laughs> have have more traction and like go through all the exercises and <laughs> yeah totally well you can go back and let a minimum review you know maybe i could sneak or... into some zooms or something <laughs> yeah totally well sir it's been a pleasure having you on the show if folks want to keep up with you they should look for the out of beta podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold and of course reform.app is your app and you are peter Sum on Twitter. It's Peter S U H M. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much. It's fun. Thank you for joining me every week on Startups for the Rest of Us. If you're not already subscribed, I'd love it if you'd hit the like and subscribe button, as the kids say these days. But no, seriously, it'd be great to uh, you know have each of these episodes appear in your feed each week if you're not already doing that. It's great to have you here. I hope this episode and all the episodes are helpful with your mindset, with some strategies, some tactics, some thought process, some inspiration, and that help you push your bootstrap or mostly bootstrap business forward every week. If you keep listening, I'll keep recording. I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.